You're listening to We've Got Issues, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, exploring hot topics and current trends in communications. This podcast is produced by Issues Management Group, an integrated strategic communications, public affairs, and digital firm guiding clients through complex, highly leveraged situations. This world is complicated. It's no surprise. We've got issues. Hi, everyone. I'm Reva Chessis. And I'm TJ Winnick. And welcome to We've Got Issues. Today, we are extremely fortunate to be speaking with the co-founder and CEO of the Women's Foundation of Boston, Christina Gordon. For anyone who may not be familiar, the Women's Foundation of Boston is a grant-making organization that invests in projects that promote the economic advancement, leadership, and well-being of women and girls in the greater Boston area. As CEO of the Women's Foundation of Boston, Christina leads the organization with a wealth of knowledge and experience grounded in both finance and women's studies. She formerly worked as an assistant fund manager and technology industry equity analyst at Wellington Management and a stock analyst at Fidelity Investments. And her passion for enriching the lives of women and girls in the community goes beyond her work at the Women's Foundation as she's also a member of Women Moving Millions and currently sits on the board of Rosie's Place, a multi-service community center in Boston, offering women emergency shelter and meals, among other support services. Christina, it is a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Christina, we'd like to start out by talking to you about your organizational model. Can you explain the multiplier effect of investing in young women and girls and, and what it means to support nonprofits that solely focus on that demographic? So it's important for many, many reasons. Um, the multiplier effect is such that if, well, well, if you raise a woman's economic status, all of her life variables improve as well as her children. So instead of trying to fix her access to safe housing or nutritional food or all, which are very, very important factors, if she earns more money, all that improves as well for children. Women also reinvest about 90% of their incomes back into their families and communities, 90%. And this causes a multiplier effect. By granting towards women, there ultimately is a refund back to the community. So we think that that's really compelling from a philanthropic, quote, investment point of view. And studies have shown that when women do better, all communities do better in a general sense. The other you know, important aspect of why it's important to invest in women and girls is because women and girls serving nonprofits only get 1.9% of all philanthropic giving, 1.9%. And that's a national number that comes from the Women's Philanthropy Institute and Indiana University. We, the Women's Foundation of Boston, just completed our Women and Girls Serving Index, which measures the exact same number, but specifically in greater Boston. And we calculated it for 2021, it was 2.16%. So 2.16% of all philanthropic giving in greater Boston is directed towards women and girls serving nonprofits. And we don't think that's enough. And of that, about 30% is sent overseas, which is far greater than the other 98% of the giving. So we founded the Women's Foundation of Boston because of this massive, massive underinvestment philanthropically in women and girls in our country and locally. Christina, are there peer organizations in other cities like the Women's Foundation of Boston that you do, let's say, you know, share ideas and, and inspiration with? 
in a very big way. So there is a network of women foundations all over the country. It's called the Women's Funding Network. And we tapped into this network from day one because we are a business, we were founded by businesswomen and we wanted to do things right, right from the beginning. So, and we are all questions, no answers. So we're very, very, very research and data driven. And so the first thing we did was we reached out to all these women's foundations all over the country and said, hey, we're just starting out. How did you do it? What would you recommend? What shouldn't we do? What should we do? Um, it was a and it's a love fest, right? So all these women's foundations all over the country are interested in having more women's foundations all over the country. We're not competing. Um, it's a friendly environment. So um, it was extremely helpful and it still remains to be very, very helpful. In fact, we contacted a handful of them. Um, the most recent contact with them was we reached out about, do they hire within to do their finances, their technology, their back office stuff, or do they contract that out? So we reached out to all these women's foundations. Hey, how do you do it? What works for you? And um, it's been really quite incredible frankly, getting to know and learning from all these women's foundations. And one of the reasons why we created the Women's Foundation of Boston is because we realized, A, there's this massive underinvestment in women and girls, which I highlighted earlier, but B, there wasn't a women's foundation in Greater Boston that was large, vibrant, and focusing only on women and girls um, like there was in 44 other states. So essentially every state or metro region had a women's foundation um, raising money and funding women and girls. And so we initially started out by reaching out to all these organizations. And now we're you know really close with them all. And we reach out to them, I would say, monthly. Well, so we're curious to to know how the Women's Foundation of Boston's approach to grant making is different from other grant making organizations. And obviously, you talked about practice sharing with with peers in the industry and things of that nature. But what makes your specific approach different? Well, our approach was uh, created and set up similar to um, our investment careers. So when we were, there was a handful of us that were in the investment industry and we look at it as an investment, a long-term investment, in fact. So we have both quantitative and qualitative aspects that we evaluate. It's very, very um, sophisticated. It's quantitative and qualitative. We have a very sophisticated scorecard system. Um, we have grant making software that enables us to do rounds and and basically rank all of the um, grants that uh, LOIs that come in. It's very, very objective and evaluating the leadership the financials, the impact, the program, the girls and women that they're actually impacting who they are. And it's quite, quite comprehensive. It is a invitation only process. And that's not because, you know, we want our friends nonprofit to get some money from us. It's not like that at all. It's invitation, meaning we have a very thorough database of all the women and girls serving nonprofits that we have identified in the greater Boston area. And then from that database of about 200 women and girls serving nonprofits that we've identified, we have narrowed it down to about 55 to 65 that qualify for our grants. So we don't want a whole bunch of nonprofits to apply for grants that we're never going to grant to. That's just a waste of their time and a waste of our time. So what we did is we vetted 
all these 200, they have to have three years of financials. They have to have a hundred thousand dollar budget. Um, they have to be their own 501c3. And most importantly, 85% of their programming or top line has to be towards women and girls. And lastly, they have to have some sort of economic empowering programming. So those vetting processes bring it down to about 60, 65, say. And so it's a very, very, very intentional and sophisticated process that the result is quite impressive. And the process is very, very seamless. And our grantee partners who go through it really love it because they feel like it's super objective and clear. Um, The other thing we do that's highly unique is we meet with all the women and girls serving nonprofits that would like to apply for 15 to 30 minutes. We will give them a Zoom opportunity to meet with our group and we guide them on how to apply and what they should apply for. We want them all to thrive and grow. So it's very much a partnership, um, which is also quite unusual. And when they, if they apply and they don't get a grant, we will meet with them again to look to, so they can learn why we didn't give them a grant and how they can successfully get one next year, Um, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with this industry, but that's very unusual. We, the Women's Foundation of Boston, we also apply for grants. So I'm on that other side. So I apply for a grant from the Boston Foundation or the John Hancock Foundation or different family foundations. So we're on the other side as well. And we see that we're doing it very, very differently than a lot of foundations. The other aspect of what's different is we really measure our impact very intensely every six to 12 months. And that involves getting very detailed information from our grantee partners of who we're impacting, their age, their ethnicity, what the program is like, how it's impacting them, their stage of life, all the different variables. But then we also work with them. We meet with them every six months on Zoom and go through what's working, what's not, how can we help you improve it if it's not working? It's very much a partnership because we want them to succeed. So it's quite special, actually. Yeah, it seems like a very innovative approach and one that's certainly geared towards empowerment. Um, and perhaps you're you're borrowing some strategies from the the private sector, which uh, we want to ask you about. We did talk about your personal experience in finance and women's studies in the introduction, and curious how you know your past experience in those areas, specifically in finance, help position you for success in your current role. Well, it had a huge impact on how we formed our grant cycle process. Like that was very, very strongly shaped by my personal investment career, but also the other co-founders and and leadership in a very impressive and big way. But I've highlighted that already. In terms of uh, my career in finance and the other co-founders, it really, because a couple of our other co-founders were in marketing, were in strategy, which also dramatically impacted who we are and how we run our organization. So we really run our, the Women's Foundation of Boston as if it's a for-profit organization, right? So we look at it from a marketing perspective, branding perspective, finance perspective. We got a three to five year strategic plan that we finished in 2020 as an example. And most organizations a couple of years out of the gate do not have five-year strategic plans. And we really dug deep. What are we trying to do? How are we going to get there? Is that realistic? What are the barriers? How are we going to overcome them? And that is very, very unusual. And we um, created a really, really strong and impressive board of directors 
again, super intentional. And we dug deep into industries in the greater Boston area, a variety of different industries, and really procured an incredible board of directors. Again, super, super unique and very much based on my experience in the finance industry and the investment industry, where board of directors are key to an organization, nonprofit or for-profit. So we crafted a lot of who we are and how we operate based on our business lens. And we still continue to do that today. And one of the ways that has come full cycle for us is we do have an endowment which again is very unusual at this stage of a startup. And we are really focusing on that. I look at it as like the Women's Foundation of Boston. So this is our first five years. Like it's been a very, very steep trajectory up. We've been very growing extremely quickly. And now we see our next five years as really solidifying our organization as a long-term sustainable organization. Why? Because a lot of nonprofits after the first five years disappear because they're not thinking five, 10, 20 years in advance. So our next phase is about sustainability and how we can solidify this organization. So it's around 10, 20, 30 years from now. And we never want Greater Boston to not have the Women's Foundation of Boston working for all the women and girls out there. And that's a very different strategy. That's a very different strategy than going from where we were from zero to where we are today. But that's, again, using our business expertise and our finance and investment. That answer leads perfectly into my next question for you, which is a bit about your your strategic plan for the next five years. Can you tell us a bit more about kind of the primary goals within your plan and how strategic communication plays a role in achieving those goals? Yes. Uh, So our strategic plan really zeroed in on who we are and what we wanted to be. And that was very critical over the past five years, because one thing we have been, or I have been as the CEO actively avoiding is what I call mission creep, which is when you start trying to do a lot of things for a lot of different people in a lot of different areas. That is not us. That can lead to a very unsuccessful organization, both on the for-profit and nonprofit areas. So We are razor sharp focused on the economic empowerment of greater Boston women and girls. And that's it. That's all we do. And we do it really well. So we are not into um, political advocacy, for instance. That's a very different animal that requires a whole different set of skills. And also that really requires being statewide to be really effective. And when we created our five-year strategic plan, we realized that would be jumping far too much into an area that we weren't prepared to deal with. So that's an example of our razor sharp focus. So our five-year strategic plan is really to um, solidify the organization and expand. And this is where the communications come in, expand in two ways, geographically into the gateway cities, which is Worcester, Lynn, Lowell, Lawrence, New Bedford. There is an enormous number of women and girls living in low-income situations and living in underserved communities in our gateway cities. 95% of our grants are directed towards women and girls living in low-income situations. So there's literally, there's an incredible number of women and girls in low-income situations in our great gateway cities, and there's almost no programming. There's almost none. And we have searched. (laughs) And so we're pushing out there with programming. And that is a very strategic and intentional push that requires a lot of communication, by the way, um, because not only do we want to those communities to be aware of who we are, 
and feel comfortable with who we are. But we also want to get donors from those communities. We would love to get board members from those communities, committee members from those communities, volunteers. We want it to be a full on presence. So that takes communication in a big way. So when we go, when we say, oh, we want to, we'd love to have a fundraiser, for instance, in Lowell or Lynn or Lawrence, you know, that takes communication, super important. So the Gateway City push is really, really important. And then also just expanding beyond our donor base right now, which is super awesome and impressive, but we want to continue to expand that because that is critical to the growth of a nonprofit. When I meet with potential donors or corporate potential corporate sponsors and I do our presentation, they're like, how did I not know that you even existed? I didn't know that there was a Women's Foundation of Boston. We want to change that, right? We want the Women's Foundation of Boston to be known by everybody in greater Boston, that it's a household term in the in the philanthropic space. And that takes communication for sure and PR. The Women's Foundation of Boston held an important fundraiser this month. And so what can you tell us about that event and the impact uh, those dollars will have in the year ahead? Yeah, we had our inaugural fundraiser and it was an incredibly huge success. And it really, really spoke to the desire of our community to come out and celebrate with us and support us. And we've never had an event before. It was sold out, 500 tickets sold out pretty quickly. It was at the Museum of Science. And the reason we had it at the Museum of Science because we got the space pro bono, to be honest, but also everything we raised would go to STEM programming for Greater Boston Women and Girls. So the focus was on STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math, as you probably know, because less than, I think, 28% of all STEM workforce is women. And if you look at the highest paying roles in STEM, like engineering and architecture, it's down to like 16, 18%. It's our wheelhouse. Education is our largest granting bucket. And within education, STEM is the biggest bucket. So we focused into the entire evening was focused on STEM. We had Linda Henry, who is the CEO of Boston Globe Media, you may be familiar with. She's on our board. She's an amazing champion for us and for all women and girls. And she was the moderator. And we had Lori Glimpscher, who is the CEO of Dana-Farber, who is an incredible woman, prominent woman in STEM. And we also had uh, President Johnson, the president of Wellesley College, who happens to be a scientist and cardiologist as well. And we had two young women who we have benefited specifically by our granting. And that was just an amazing, amazing event. We raised over $1.1 million, which may, I mean, it sounds like a lot of money to me, but in the nonprofit space, I guess if you're, it depends on where your frame of reference is, but for the women and girls, that is historical absolutely historical. We put it together on a shoestring. We are, as you may know, a volunteer-led and run organization. So the majority of our work is done by our 120 professional women and men volunteers. We have only two part-time employees. We hired our first full-time employee last week. So we put this whole event together based all on pro bono and volunteerism. So that 1.1 million, almost all of it is going to go towards STEM programming for Greater Boston Women and Girls. And we are so excited to put this to work. And one of the things we do is, which our donors love, we're super transparent. Everything we raise from our individual donors, 100% goes directly to women and girls serving programming. How do we do that? Is we have this volunteer base that does most of our work. 
work that we pay for, employees and some consulting, is covered by foundation grants that we apply for. So 100% of our individual dollars go directly to women and girls serving programs. So every 100% of what we raised in that room at our Make Her Mark event was 100% of it is going to go to our grant cycle next year and specifically towards STEM, which really resonates with not only our individual donors, but our corporate sponsors, the STEM. Analog Devices was one of our largest corporate sponsors, which we were so grateful for. That's amazing. And congratulations on a very successful inaugural fundraiser. That's really wonderful. Christina, really thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure getting to speak with you and learning more about everything that you guys are doing. So thank you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And to our listeners out there, thanks for joining us for We've Got Issues. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on future conversations. And if you've enjoyed this conversation and previous episodes, let us know by leaving a review and following us on social media, issues underscore group on Instagram and at issues underscore group on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. We will talk to you soon. 